Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Dave, continuing chronologically through the whole Bible, Proverbs 24, verse 23. Proverbs 24, verse 23. These things also belong to the wise. Solomon reminds us he's still quoting others. Again, very important we remember that these are things he added to his collection. They were not his original wisdom. Why is that so important? I want somebody eventually to be able to tell me the answer. Dave, not in here. But I hope somebody will come up to me at some point in the future and say, I know why that's important. That's very, very important. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. On our sign, thanks to Ray, once again it says sovereign grace about this church. What does it mean to be sovereign grace? It don't take long to figure that out around here because we're different. We are different. This verse is one of the verses used to attack sovereign grace. This verse is one of the verses used to say that there's no way that sovereign grace is true because that verse says right there it can't be. So we're going to talk about that for a little bit. Dad talked about it last Sunday morning at 11 talking about how, Ray read about this in, chat, in Acts, how that God does not automatically rule people out. Okay, We're going to come at it from the other angle today. Does God do this by choosing some for salvation and not choosing others? I'm going to come in from the other direction. Dad said that God doesn't automatically rule out the Gentiles. Thank God or else we'd be ruled out. Yep. But... Sovereign grace teaches that God does choose some based on none, nothing of, of their own thing. And by default, he doesn't choose others. So is he having respect of persons in his judgment or justice? Folks, you will want to take notes on this. Guaranteed you're going to want to take notes on this. This is something that... How do I say it? There are certain things that certain <coughs> churches teach that have holes in it like Swiss cheese. And they choose to ignore the holes. Okay, We don't get to ignore the holes in our doctrine. If there's holes in our doctrine, we've got to change our doctrine. This is all there is to it. This is not a hole in sovereign grace. I'm going to show you why. According to Cornell Law School, this is important because Cornell is one of the premier law schools in the country, okay? They're going to give us the legal definition of justice. It's going to be long, it's going to be boring, but it's very, very important to us as a starting point. Cornell Law School says justice is the ethical, philosophical idea that people are to be treated impartially, fairly, properly, and reasonably by the law and by arbitrators of the law, that laws are to ensure that no harm befalls another, and that where harm is alleged, 
a remedial action is taken, both the accuser and the accused receive a morally right consequence merited by their actions. In my own words, justice is, if I harm somebody, the government's going to correct it. That's justice. Is God guilty of injustice? Is he guilty of respect of persons in choosing some and not choosing others? No one goes to hell innocently. That is the key. No one goes to hell innocently. Jesus voluntarily took the hell of those who go to heaven. Justice does not demand he do it for everyone. Fairness. Fairness demands he do it for everyone. But under no way does God ever claim to be fair. He claims to be just. There's a big difference between fairness and justice. In our mind, they're the same thing. No, they are not. 45 people have served as president. Together, they have pardoned 30,496 convicts. I was shocked at how high that number was. On average, it's well over 100 per president. Should we let the rest out to be fair? It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same same thing no one goes to hell innocently they go to hell because they sinned they deserve hell God chose some to pay the price for using Jesus God did not choose everyone I'm sorry we can wish that he did but he did not that's you can't find that in scripture anywhere Matthew chapter 20 explains it. Turn to Matthew 20. I want you to see that this is in your Bible. It's going to be a familiar story, but I hope that you see it in a different light this morning. Matthew chapter 20. Does God have respect of persons in justice? Verse number 1 in Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that's a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, by the way, a penny was a a typical day's wage, okay? He wasn't robbing them. This was a typical day's wage. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Verse 3, And he went out about the third hour or nine o'clock and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. The key there is whatsoever is right. Again, he went out about the sixth, that's noon, and the ninth hour, that's three in the afternoon, and did likewise. He says, I'll pay you what is right. About the eleventh hour, this is just before dark, About the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, or the twelfth hour, one hour later, when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard 
said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Why did he do that? He makes make it a point. He did it this way on purpose. If he had done it the other way, it would have meant nothing. He does, does backwards. When they came, they were hired about the eleventh hour, or those that had worked for one hour. They received every man a penny. Again, a penny was a common day's wage. It wasn't ripoff. It was a common day's wage. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And fairness demands that they do get paid more. Fairness demands that they get paid more. They likewise received every man a penny or a common day's wage. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. That right there is the statement that God's not being unjust. Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? No one goes to hell innocently. They go to hell because they broke God's law, and the punishment is you go to hell. It's as simple as that. A simple, natural agreement between God and his creation. Take that thine is. In this case, it'd be hell and go thy way. I will give unto the last, this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me, or is it not justice for me to do what I will with mine own, in this case, heaven? Is thine eye evil because I am good? In other words, just because I'm doing something you wouldn't do, does that make me wrong? Just because I'm doing something you wouldn't do, does that make me wrong? No one is harmed. Think about that. What would happen in America if this was done by one company in one day? It'd be all over the news. It would break several employment laws. But the problem is employment laws are not justice. They're fairness. And there's a huge difference between justice and fairness. God never pretended to be fair. He demands justice, even of himself. So the last shall be first. The first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Why did he add verse 16 in there? He's explaining sovereign grace. The last shall be first, the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Now, I'm not going to go into the specifics of sovereign grace. I'm simply looking at it. Is it just or not? Let's look at Romans chapter number 9. Some people hate when I go to Romans chapter 9 because they know exactly what it's about. That chapter explains it. I've never, not one time, had anyone ever explain Romans 9 outside of sovereign grace that made any sense. It just doesn't. Romans chapter 9, verse 13 as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Did God harm Esau? No. Esau was a sinner. Did God harm Jacob? No. Was God fair 
No. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God or injustice with God? Is God having prospective persons in judgment? God forbid. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will pay what I want to pay as long as it falls within the agreement. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth or desires it, nor of him that runneth or works for it. And there's a lot of people that work very, very, very hard just to impress God. But of God that showeth mercy, folks, no one is harmed in sovereign grace. No one is harmed. We look at it as though these people deserve the same thing this group gets. That's not true. This group deserves what they got. They don't get it. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, literally created you. I created you for this, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Pharaoh went to hell. He's there now. That's why God created him. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. People hate that verse. It's there. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Why is it not unjust to harden someone? Because they've already committed that first sin. Once they've committed the first sin, they deserve hell forever. The rest of it just makes it worse. There's absolutely no harm happening here. Thou wilt say that unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? In other words, how can he declare me guilty if I'm simply doing what he created me to do? How can he declare Pharaoh guilty if he simply did what he created him to do? Nay, but O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? This is another way of saying, I don't know the answer to that. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I don't know the answer to that. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Folks, this is one of the things that God did not reveal to us, according to the pleasure of his own will. In other words, that's what he wanted to do. But is he unjust? No one is harmed. That's the difference. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? He's not harming the one that's made to dishonor because it's better than it was when it started. Think about that. He made it, let's, let's call it a toilet. Okay? He made it a toilet. It's going to be used as a toilet and it's going to be thrown away eventually because that's what happens to toilets. Okay? Is the toilet better off than a lump of clay? Yes. Yes. At least he gets to experience something. What if willing, God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? What if God was patient with the toilet and let it keep sitting there and keep sitting there and keep sitting there and keep sitting there and keep sitting there. What if God chose to let the toilet just sit there? 
No one is harmed. In fact, the toilet's got a blessing because he gets to keep sitting there. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. In other words, the purpose of the toilet is to show how beautiful the fancy dish is. The purpose of the toilet is to show how beautiful the fancy dish is. Without the toilet, it's just a dish. With the toilet, suddenly the, this thing stands out. And it doesn't stand out because of anything that it did. It stands out because of something God did. Back up. That he might know, make known the riches of his glory on the vessel of mercy, which he hath afforded prepared unto glory. Before what? Before the foundation of the world. Yep. Before the foundation of the world. This is several places in Scripture. Prepared them unto glory. Even us whom he hath called. Stop right there. Many are called, few are chosen. What about the rest? What about the rest? I've never known any sovereign grace preacher, including dad, that will talk about the rest. Because it's very uncomfortable to talk about the rest. I want you to imagine this room. It's the only room in the state of Florida with air conditioning. Now you feel special because you know there's no air conditioning anywhere else. Are they being robbed if they don't have air conditioning everywhere else? No air conditioning anywhere in the state of Florida, including the rich people's houses. Only here does God give us air conditioning. Is God harming the rest for 6,000 years people have not had air conditioning I grew up without air conditioning I didn't know I didn't have air conditioning until some of my rich friends got air conditioning and then I thought that's never going to last because no one wants to be that cold no one is harmed according to Cornell law that's the definition of justice no harm is done if harm is done then reparations are made <clears throat> even us who have called not of the Jews only but also the Gentiles that wraps back around to what dad preached last Sunday night in that God doesn't automatically choose the Jews at the same time though those that he does choose cannot claim any kind of credit for it the Jews thought they were automatically claimed that's where the problem came in because they were not automatically claimed no one can ever brag about the fact they go to heaven no matter what they do Correct. because all of us deserve hell God unfairly unfairly chooses some to draw to himself had God not done that, we would all choose to go to hell. And this is where we have the problem, is we assume that everyone can choose God. They cannot. This is called the doctrine of total depravity. Yep. Total depravity is this. Every part of any individual, whoever lived besides Jesus, 
Every part of them is touched by sin. Every part is totally depraved. That doesn't mean it's the worst that it can be. Obviously, Hitler would be the closest to the worst it could ever be. And then someone who's a nice, good person but just rejects Jesus, they're not that bad. They just don't choose Jesus. Every part is touched by sin, making it unacceptable. How do I describe this? I want you to imagine that we are going to... Now I want to use that illustration. That's, that's a little too close. Okay, here we go. We're going to go to the restaurant after church and we're all going to sit down and we're all going to have lunch. I want you to imagine that everyone... Somewhere in their meal, whether it's the drink or whether it's the meal or whether it's the dessert, everyone in the room has a little bit of poison somewhere. Is anyone going to eat anything? It's totally unacceptable. Total depravity means God is totally unaccepting of us in any way, shape, or form. The only way that we will eat anything is to be guaranteed there is no poison in any of your meal. Jesus took it out. That's the only way. Does he have to do it for everyone? No. Not scripturally, not even according to the United States law. He doesn't have to do it for everyone. No one is harmed. Respect of persons and justice. An excellent way to identify justice this I almost left out because it's kind of a different avenue on this, but to me it's important. An excellent way to identify justice, especially in politics, is to remove the specifics. Remove the specifics. I'm going to give you an illustration with the specifics removed. For example, should presidents be permitted to give executive orders? Don't answer. Should presidents be permitted to give executive orders? One president, I'm not going to say who, described it as stroke of the pen, law of the land. Should the president be able to do it? Don't answer. A president, really, a real man, I'm going to tell you who, a real president criticized another for signing 276 executive orders seeing them as an end run around Congress. He said, you should not do that because you're making laws that Congress has not approved. He then issued 220 executive orders himself. Why? If he can do it, I can do it. If it's wrong for him, it's wrong for him. Who were these men? It should not matter who they were. This is where we get a problem in politics. If this guy did it, it's okay. If this guy did it, it's not okay. And that's not justice. It is not good to have respective persons in justice. Remove the specifics. Look at it with no don't look at the executive orders. They don't matter what they are. Well, that one's a good one. We need that. Send it through legal means. 
well, this is the bad one. We should, he shouldn't have that one. That's why we have legal means. But if you can take one over here and another one over here, that's injustice. I don't care what the title, what the topic is. I don't care who the person is. Is it simply legal or not? Remove the specifics. Continues on. He that saith to the wicked, thou art righteous. Stop right there. Does God say to the wicked, thou art righteous? Be careful on this. Scripture says that we are become the righteousness of God. He took our sins. We are become His righteousness. The only way God can declare us righteous is if we are righteous. The only way we can be righteous is for someone to take away our unrighteousness. So He's not God now. God is not calling the, 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 the wicked righteous. He's calling the now righteous righteous. But the rest of them, they're as wicked as they started out. Him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him. And I submit to you, this verse right here is why so many people hate sovereign grace. They say, I can't understand it, therefore it cannot be true. I made a commitment years ago not to <clears throat> preach on sovereign grace unless it came up in the text. And it's amazing how often it comes up in the text. It's amazing. But to them that rebuke him shall be delight. In other words, whoever gives justice and a good blessing shall come upon them. Injustice is eventually followed by justice. It has to be because God is a God of justice. Does that mean everyone gets out of hell? No, absolutely not. What it means is anyone in heaven had their hell already paid for moment by moment. How in the world, <clears throat> in three hours, did Jesus pay for my eternity in hell, plus his eternity in hell, plus her eternity in hell, plus his... And everyone saved throughout history, how could Jesus do that in three hours? He had to be God. Yep. He had to be able to take it all in three hours. And I submit to you, it wasn't just three hours. Correct. Tell me why. It was three hours and three days and three nights. I think it's way, way longer than that. There's no time with God. Remember that. God is not limited by time. Therefore, Jesus is not limited by time. Three hours on the cross could have been 10 million years for Jesus. Say, so how could that be? Our mind can't comprehend it. We right. see time as a line. That's yesterday. That's tomorrow. That is not how Jesus sees times at all. Not even close to how Jesus sees time. Every time, injustice is followed by justice. Every single time. If you have questions on this, please ask me. The reason I like to have these discussions is I want to find out if there's something that I'm missing. I want to study it. I don't, I'm not interested in being right on this. I'm interested in being on God's side on this. And there's a difference. God's side very rarely is what we would call right. Look at how God treats women. It just seems unfair. You know why? Because it is. It's unfair. Is it just? It's just. It's just. Let's move on. Verse 26. 
Every man shall kiss his lips that giveth a right answer. Obviously, folks, not literally. Obviously, not literally. I'm going to give you an example of not literally here. An example is Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33, I shared this with Ray when he began preaching. This is something that every preacher needs to be aware of. Ezekiel 33. Also, thou son of man, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and the doors of the houses. That's gossip, just so you know. And speak one to another about you. Everyone to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they shall come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. They will do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after covetousness, or they simply want to do what they want. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice. They like to listen to you talk. It's entertaining. And can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. Every preacher experiences this. Every single preacher experiences this. And when this cometh to pass, when it happens to you, preacher, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. That verse right there is powerful. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. He was not kissed. Ezekiel was hated. He was hated. But he was respected. And that's what this verse says is going to happen. Every man shall respect the person that giveth the right answer. <clears throat> this is what happens to teenagers when they stop being teenagers. Once they hit their 40s, typically is when it happens in my experience. They begin respecting what their father said because now they've got enough experience to see that it was a right answer. Almost everyone winds up respecting their father if they live long enough because they get the experience. Same thing here. When what you say happens, they're going to remember that you told them. You're going to get respect. And to me, that's way more valuable than anything else. I want to know that you know the truth. Quite honestly, what you do with it, I do not care. That's why I'm a terrible pastor. A pastor cares. A pastor will get involved and he will try to help you overcome what it is. I'm not like that. Okay? I want you to know the truth. And then I want to step back and say, God, they're yours. Verse 27. Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house. This is a basic principle of farming. When you move to a new area, you skip the farm working, then you build the house. This is just good planning is all it is. Get the income machine working, then use what it provides. 
Get the income machine working, then use what it provides. Today, we want the benefits first. Today, we say, I've got to have this, 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 this. And we go into marriage so deep in debt, we'll never get out of it. Then we wonder why we can't make the payments. Churches do the exact same thing. And this is why I harp on this all the time, is because there's so many churches think it's okay to tell the member, don't get in debt, but by the way, we're going to be millions and millions in debt. I heard one preacher one time saying, I need $5 million, and I need it now. Do you have it? Well, no, but I need it. If God didn't provide it, you don't need it. But we've got all these plans. We're going, to, we're going to lose all this money if we don't get the $5 million today. Did God provide it? Well, not yet. Then you don't need it. Why would God rescue us from problems He told us not to have in the first place? There's a show on about uh, child predators. This guy got caught and he's in the back of a squad car by himself. He's saying, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. Oh God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. God, help me. Still in prison. Why would God help him? There's no reason for God to help him. But God loves him. God loves those babies too. I was there with this and I got sued. I had to bankrupt because there was no way in the world I could pay the lawsuit. Tithing and then putting every possible penny towards the debt will be worth it. Don't wait till you get sued. I'm telling you, this stuff needs to be taken care of before the suit comes. Verse 28. Be not witness against thy neighbor without cause, and deceive not with thy lips. Say not, I will do to him as he hath done to me. The implication here is that whatever it is you're doing has already been done to you or back to where we started with the presidential executive orders. He did it, so I'll do it. Say not, I will do to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. I'm just going to level the playing field. In America, this is called, guess what? Fairness. Fairness. It's not justice. Even if he deserves it, I'm not going to do it. Say not, I will do to him as he hath done to me. In American thinking, that's exactly what we say. I will do to him no more, but no less than he's done to me. That's fair. Fairness is not godly. Justice is godly. This writer here in Proverbs 24, 29 agrees with Solomon. Proverbs 20, 22, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Justice will be done if you let God do it. Matthew 18, Then came Peter to him, this is Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times. Peter's being generous. 
Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take an account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Some people say that's millions of dollars. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This is indentured servitude. It's simply taking you and saying you're going to work 24-7 whenever you're awake. And everything you produce goes back to the person you owe. Once it's owed, then you're freed. Indentured servitude. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped or literally begged him saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will repay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Does he have to do it for everyone? No. He can have mercy on whoever he wants to. But he forgave this guy the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Why did he go after this second guy? I've always wondered it, but I think I know Forgiven or not, he just lost his job. Forgiven or not, he just lost his job. He wants to have some kind of money to continue living on until he gets another job. So he goes to this other guy. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Some writers say this is a few thousand dollars. It's significantly lower than the original debt, though. That's the important part. He laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all word for word, exactly the same scenario. And he would not. Why would he not? He just lost his job. He's got to have some kind of income, and this is guaranteed income. You get his whole family working for you, you're okay even without a job, temporarily. He went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, or they couldn't believe it, is what that says. And came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on my fellow servant? even as I had pity on thee, shouldn't you have done at least the same thing? God has a right to demand that we take it off what we owe him. God has a right to demand we take it off what we owe him. His Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. We talked about this a few weeks ago. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. This is one of the passages that those say you can lose your salvation. They go to this one fast. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. In other words, you cannot say I will do to him as he had done to me. We don't get to do that. But what is verse 35? What is that? We won't lose our salvation. We're the only denomination that says that. Only us. Every other denomination says that's losing your salvation, and I can see where they get it. The problem is you've got to ignore a lot of the Bible to come to that conclusion. 
So I'm going to start with, we won't lose our salvation, but folks, whatever this is will be very unpleasant in this life. If we won't forgive, if we simply give back to them what they have done, if we are fair, if we are fair, we get that, whatever it is. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much that your word explains itself. Father, we don't know everything. None of us knows everything. We're continuing to learn. Please help us when we see stuff like this not to get arrogant and say, I'm right and you're wrong. Help us not to get angry and say, I want nothing more to do with you. Help us to say, you know what, I never saw that or I just don't understand it. Let's work on it together. Help us to be your body, taking your word and helping other people with it. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you that people showed up here this morning to hear me preach because nowhere else in the world will they do that. In Jesus' name, amen.